Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Today we are on our kind of last sermon of the letter of Colossians for the series. I am planning on having kind of a tag next week, but technically this is our last Colossians sermon. You may have never thought it was going to end, but uh, this is 10 weeks of Colossians, and I've really enjoyed going through it with all of you. And um, one of the things that we talked about last week, or I tried to talk about, is that starting around chapter 3 in Colossians, Paul really has one central focus. He's trying to tell us that you've died to your old life, you've been born to a new life, and that that has to affect everything you do. I tried to use the analogy of me saying when I used that angle grinder in my house and dust got everywhere in my house. There was no place that it dust didn't get. And one of the lines that I read last week that I wanted to use to summarize last week's sermon is the idea that for Paul that there is no part of, human exist- of our human existence that remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Jesus. And that's his point. And he uses that, and then he talks about it in your homes, with your families, with wives and husbands. And now he's going to give us a few more instructions about it that have to do with our prayer life, and they have to do with our way that we interact with each other. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 2, and if you want, you can read along on the screen. Just curious by a show of hands, how many of y'all, that's like way too small? Is that, is that something where, because I, I've always thought that when I make these PowerPoints, the point is for y'all to be able to read that, and if none of y'all can read it, then come up to me after church and say, yeah, I can't read that at all. So, um, starting in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, and let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So there are two main parts of this, and like I said, when you're reading this, don't imagine that before Paul is finishing his letters, he's just like, oh yeah, real quick. Let me add a couple more things in here before I say goodbye. The whole idea of this is when you die to your old life and are born to your new life, you put, take off your old clothes and put on your new clothes, part of that looks like being a person who is devoted to prayer and in the way that you treat outsiders. It should change how you interact with people who aren't Christians. So I want to focus on this prayer part first. I love the idea that Paul is talking to this new church that he's never met, and he says to them, I have something I need from y'all. It kind of, for me growing up, even as a child, it meant a lot to me when someone told me they needed me to help with something. It's easy sometimes, oh, you're a young kid, you're going to mess it up, but for an adult to say, hey, would you mind helping out? It made you all of a sudden feel like you could contribute, that you had a role to play. Paul says, y'all have a role to play. I need you to pray for me. I need your help praying for me and for our message, that our message is able to get out of here. And I think part of what he's saying, obviously, is that Paul is in prison. And he is saying, I want y'all to pray that doors will be opened so that I can get out of here and I can keep proclaiming this message of the gospel. This thing that I'm in chains for, this reason I'm in prison for proclaiming Christ as Lord, I pray that y'all would, the doors would be open for us to be able to get out and spread this message more. But on the other hand, I also think that this prayer is the fact that Paul knows that just because he is in prison does not mean the message has to stop going places. 
Obviously, this letter is an example of a letter that he wrote from jail. And so the message of the gospel is still being proclaimed even without the doors being opened. And I've, I've thought about this section quite a bit because it's, it's always a humbling experience when I'm sitting right there and someone comes up here to pray every once in a while and they'll say something like, Dear God, we pray that you be with Drew and we pray that you be with his message for us today. And it's always a very humbling thing. And it's a reminder, just as this message is a reminder, that as much as I want to prepare all week, as much as I want to start on Monday studying for my sermon and let it marinate all week so that it's the best possible sermon it can be on Sunday, the real truth is, is that whether you hear it or receive it or whether I hear a message or receive it has to do with a prayer for God to open doors in our hearts and in our lives. can't tell you how many times I've taught a class where you look out in the audience and you can tell pretty clearly if someone's sitting there listening with a heart to receive a message and has prayed to receive a message or is sitting there with a look of, I'm just not listening right now. You know, I'm, my mind's somewhere else. And so it was funny. I was studying for this sermon and I was thinking about this. And I don't know if y'all remember on Wednesday night, I kind of mentioned praying for my class, you know, kind of saying, I pray that my class is something that is heard and received and the message is something that opens a door. And right as I was talking about that, a young man, or I don't know, my age, do I, I, I'm a young man, whatever. Um, when I say young man, I usually mean like a teenager. But this guy was around my age. He knocked on the door. I came, opened the door, you know, and he said, or I guess he didn't knock. He just kind of came in and, and I said, hi, I'm Drew. What's your name? His name was Ivan. And I said, hi, can I help you with something? He said, you know, uh, could I talk to someone about y'all's electrical provider? And I thought, oh, okay, well, this isn't a great time. It's six o'clock. And I said, I said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I don't normally handle those kind of things, but we're about to start class if you want to come into class. And he said, how long is it going to be? And I said, about an hour. And he said, okay, let me go get my Bible. And he came into class and he sat through the whole class. And I did mention that Beverly had made pie. And so maybe that's why he came in. Uh, who knows? But uh, I had said, also, there's some pie in here. Uh, by the way, there was pie at class, if any of you need that incentive. But one of the things that I, uh, I kept thinking was my natural reaction was, is to think, of course, no one's going to want to come in. Of course, they're not going to, like, they don't have time for this. They're too busy. Oh, you know, and guess what? Every time I do that, I sell short the fact that God's the one that's making the message come across, not me. Whenever you go and you're talking to people about Jesus, when your heart is full of prayer that doors are open, that messages are received, it's not about you. It's about the fact that God is opening those doors. And that's a great reminder for me all the time. It really takes me off the hook. So I didn't prepare for this sermon at all. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, another thing, one last tidbit before I talk about the second half of this. I can't tell you how many times I've met with people and tried to talk to them about Christ, and I just feel like the door is constantly shut, and you're just wishing they would open the door. And they might even be a Christian, but it might be that they look at Christianity in a way where it's, it doesn't translate to how they live their lives. It might, it might be a number of ways, but all of you can think of people in your life that you've talked with, and you're just like, I wish you would get this. And I just would encourage you, this is a prayer for you. This is a prayer that we continually get to be a part of for God to open a door, even the doors that we feel like are locked, whether in Paul's case, literally a locked door like a prison, or whether it's a, a locked door in their heart. Because you never know when sometimes that message, that door can be unlocked in a father who has spent his whole life not listening and, and when he turns 85 says, you know what, the door, I'm, I, I, something has changed in my life that makes this door open. 
The second half of this passage, he talks about pray, pray or wait, here it is. Be wise, in, in verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know the answer. You know how to answer everyone. I want to talk about how this verse is a verse I've heard in one specific context a lot that I think is on point but kind of misses the point sometimes. If you've heard this passage before, it is usually the verse that we use right before we teach a class on how to convert people to Christianity, right? You've been there before where, or to convert people to the Church of Christ. And this part right here of know how to answer everyone is what we say of, hey, at any given moment, someone might walk up to you and say, I just don't know about hell. And you're supposed to on the spot go, okay, well, um, in Genesis 3, 7, and in uh, Acts this and that, you're supposed to have the answer ready. It's like the Scripps National Spelling Bee. You know, you're, you're training all year with flashcards on how to give the right answer. And if you don't know the right answer, then all of a sudden you're a terrible Christian because you weren't on the spot, weren't on the ball. How, how many of you have heard that? You've heard in this context, okay? I don't think that's wrong. I think Paul cares deeply that we always are prepared for the fact that at any given moment, we might have a chance to talk to someone about Christ. That is on point. What isn't on point is the idea that the way someone's going to choose is going to be based on our great intellectual, factual answer that we memorized in Bible class. Okay? Because, as I've said, all this whole series, and I'm going to say our next series coming up is going to talk about this too. Wisdom is not intellectual. When God says, be wise, right here, be wise, he does not say, in the answers that you know for people. What does it say? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I've said it, and I'll say it again, over and over. In the Bible, wisdom is not about how smart you are. Wisdom is the way you live your life. Wisdom is about how people see that you are pursuing Christ with your life. You could be the dumbest person in the world. If you're giving your life to Christ, you are wise. You could be the smartest person in the world. And if you don't follow Christ, you are an idiot, a fool, as the Bible would say. I think about one time Sam Wells told me, they were, talking, they were asking him about how, how come at his company there's so many people that he hired that are still there. He has a great retention rate of hiring people, training people, and them still being there. And he said to me, when I hire people, I don't hire them based on what they know. I hire them based on who they are. That's what this is talking about. Being wise is about who you are, okay? And so, with that in mind, when it says be prepared to answer someone, Think more about the fact that the reason those per people are talking to you is because they're seeing who you are. And the way you live your life is your answer in many ways to as people, you know, when, when someone comes up to me, I, I remember in high school, people would always come up and be like, Drew, let's go to one party. Let's just see you go crazy one time. You know why they did that? It's because I didn't walk around talking a certain way. Well, I, I guess that is part of it. But it's the way they saw me act. And that wanted them to come up with a conversation. No one has ever come up to me and said, Drew, what is your stance on seven-day creation? Give me an answer. No one's ever done that. But you know what they do say? Is they say, I don't understand why this brokenness is happening in my life. Give an answer. And that answer is going to come a lot more from a place of, you saw the way I lived my life, and I'm your friend, and I'm here with you. But, but I will say, there is a component of this, clearly, that is about what you say. Because he says, your conversation, let it be full of grace and seasoned with salt. The seasoned with salt means, let it be a little interesting. Let it be a little exciting. You know, if your food is a little bland, you put a little salt on it. Now, in my family, 
A rule in my family was the way your mom, my mom put the plate in front of me, that's how you ate it. You did not put anything on it. That was one thing my dad was a big deal. You don't say, oh, can I have some ketchup with this? Or, oh, can I? But there were two exceptions. If my mom set the plate down and said, you might want a little salt on those green beans. All right, we had permission. Or if she put salt on her food, then you could do it. But the idea is, you know, add a little excitement, a little energy to the way you speak. Uh, I hope this analogy doesn't fall flat, but one thing I, you know, I talked to you all about my philosophies. One of my philosophies in college, I used to say, was if you want to date someone, like, uh, like say I wanted to date a girl, or my friend wanted to date a girl, I would tell them you have one thing that you can control in this, whether or not you get to date this girl or not. You have one thing under your control. The rest is out of your control. The one thing is, is every time you interact with that girl, does that girl ask herself this question, do I want to spend more time with him or less time with him? That's about it. That's all you can control. The way you're kind and polite, the way you open the door, the way you are um, very sincere in listening. Oh, wow. And, and what, what did the teacher say next? You know, the way you're leaning in, all you can control is that girl walking away and going, that was nice. You know, that Ronnie guy was pretty friendly to me. I, I want to I talk to him more. Or I would be fine if I didn't see that person again. Okay, right? You have one of these options. And coaches say it in football. Coaches will say, or, or with any sport, any practice, every day, every practice, you are taking a step towards something or you're taking a step away from it. You're either improving yourself or stepping away. And I think when I read this, all I can think about is for Paul, he's saying, guess what, you new Christians, this church in Colossae, this little collection of maybe a dozen people, you are going to go out into your town and into your community, and every single time you interact with people through your actions, through your words, the way you speak to your waiter or your waitress, the way you interact with the person at the market, they are going to say either, you know what, I want to learn more about this, or they're going to say, I don't want to learn more about this. I want to learn what's unique about you. What's this Christ thing? Or they're going to say, Whatever this Christ thing is, I don't want a part of it. And I want to encourage all of you that every time you interact with someone here in Clifton, every time you post on Facebook, especially during a political season, you have an opportunity to make people either think, I want to learn more about what it means to be a Christian, or you give them an opportunity to say, I don't want to know more about that. Those Christians are pretty judgy. I don't want to learn more about that. That doesn't say, let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. That says, let your conversation be full of judgment and seasoned with rocks, okay? Not, let's not do that, okay? Paul knows just how big of an opportunity you have in the way you act and the words you say. And when you put on Christ out in the community, you've got a real chance of someone saying, I want to know more about that. And you've got a real chance of someone saying, I don't want to know more about that. Does that make sense? All right. Let's read this last section. Um, it's going to take us a minute, um, but what I want to encourage you, and hold on to this, first of all, I like the fact that we read all of Ruth. That's something that I enjoy. I like the fact that I can say everyone who followed along that series got to read every word of Ruth. I like the fact that we're about to read every word of Colossians. But one thing you should remember is normally preachers get to this part and they say, okay, we're not going to talk, we're not going to read this section because this is just a whole bunch of names. This is just a whole bunch of hello, how are you stuff. And what we really need to preach about is the instructions and the rules. Where's the part where they actually tell us what to do? And I'm going to tell you why I think that's a wrong way of thinking about this. So if you would, read with me. And I highlighted every person's name that Paul is interacting with and talking to. And I'll try and maybe fill you in as we read. 
Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is the guy carrying this letter. He's the one reading this letter to the church in Colossae, very likely. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So Onesimus, if you're... The name sounds familiar. It is because when we read just a few pages later in our Bible, after Titus, you get to Philemon, right? I hope I'm right. Yes, you get to Philemon before Hebrews. Onesimus is Philemon's runaway slave, okay? And Philemon is a member of the church in Colossae. So I want you to imagine how uncomfortable it would be. Let's say if somebody who was a member here burned down the annex, okay? And then ran away and then started working with Paul, everybody in the church would kind of be like, that guy? That guy's the the guy that burned down the church, or the annex. And when he comes back in here, he's going to be standing right here. And you can tell there's going to be a lot of uncomfortableness in the whole room. Like, that guy, has he's showing his face here? I can't believe he's showing up here. Remember what he did? That's Onesimus. Onesimus is the runaway slave that ran away illegally from his master, Philemon, And notice, remember last week we talked a lot about masters and slaves. And so Paul is saying, this is Onesimus, our dear and beloved, faithful brother. He is standing right here with Tychicus. And there's a lot of tension in the room because everybody's looking over at Philemon. Like, what's Philemon going to do? He's got to be so upset. And I hope, so next week's tag is we're going to read Philemon, or at least part of it. Because we know that while Tychicus is presenting this letter to the Colossians, in his back pocket is the letter to Philemon. And you're not going to see Philemon's name in these final greetings, but that's probably because he's like, oh, and by the way, I've got a letter that I need to read to Philemon. Okay? So just keep that in mind. That's going to help you a lot with the context of next week. Isn't this the stuff, you know, you're just like, that doesn't say that in here, but we know it from the context clues. And it's important. It it sheds so much light on what we're talking about. Okay. My fellow prisoner... Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epiphras, the person who started this church in Colossae, we learned that in chapter 1, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand... Oh, wait, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you will stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Aeropolis. Our dear friend Luke, you might know that name, the doctor, the physician, he's the one that wrote Luke and Acts, and Damas, send greetings. Let's see, I'm make sure I'm not off over there. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that you read, or see to it also, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. You might be wondering, where's that letter? Why don't we have that one? Uh, Well, there's one of two things. Either the letter was lost or the letter Ephesians is that letter. A lot of people believe that Ephesians is that letter and it just gets called Ephesians. But anyway, some people think that. Tell Archippus 
See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Many people believe Colossians was written by Timothy with Paul telling him what to write. And then at the very end, Paul takes the pen or whatever to write and writes in his own hand this part. He said, I, Paul, write this greeting. I sign my name in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, so why do we need to read that? Or what's relevant about that? The first reason is because it sets us up really importantly for Philemon. This is coming at the point where it's like, okay, listen, how is Philemon going to treat his runaway slave Onesimus? And the answer to that question, Paul has already been saying all throughout the letter, and he's going to say it again in Philemon. No part of human existence remains untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Christ, even when it comes to masters and slaves. No part of this message gets to be avoided in your life. And the way, Philemon, the way you now treat Onesimus has to be not as master and slave primarily. It primarily has to be treated as brothers in Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb and united in Christ. That is your first and foremost allegiance to each other now that y'all have this new life. Then the masters and slave part comes next. The other thing that I want to point out that I think is really crucial, and I... If it doesn't sink in, hopefully it sinks in as we go through this week. But the idea that the gospel of Christ is not about abstract, abstract ideas or rules to follow, but it is for real people living real lives together. This last greeting reminds us something that we see in so many of his letters. We treat the Bible often as an owner's manual that has no context to it. We say, oh, well, these are the rules that Paul wrote for everybody, so let's just drop it everywhere, and that's how this works. And the names on this list remind us that the, this letter was for people living real lives in real places. If I wrote a letter to the church in Clifton, you better believe I'm going to end with saying, has Joe caught any fish recently? You know I'm going to end with, is Terry keeping Sammy in line? You know? I'm going to end with, has Debbie made any quilts recently? I'm going to end with, you know, How's Zach's tennis going? I'm, that's going to be in the letter because this gospel isn't a thing that's just a set of rules that we throw out there. This gospel is a thing that was written for people living together, doing life together. That's what this gospel is about. It's a story. It's not a set of rules. And when we read these lists of people, we're reminded constantly, each and every one of these names, Paul is drawing that connection. You've been there before where you meet someone who went to school at the same time as you and you say, oh, did you know so-and-so? Did you know so-and-so? And it binds you together, right? Come on, you know those people in your family. They could meet someone in another country. And if they say something that they remotely, oh, I one time drove through Clifton. Oh, do you know Butch? Oh, do you know? And you want to make those connections with each other because that's what this is about. This gospel is a message about people with hopes and dreams and broken lives and hills and valleys that are all doing this life together. And we can't ever forget that. We have to remember that's what this is about. I'm going to read this line and then we'll finish. The point Paul is making is that Christians belong to one another in the fellowship of mutual love prayer, instruction, and service. It is undesirable and ultimately impossible for any individual Christian or church family to go it alone and imagine they have nothing to gain or learn from other Christians or churches. This closing from Paul serves as a constant reminder to us that the gospel is known primarily in community with real people, with other people, and the gospel is not about abstract ideas or instructions, but it is about the people Jesus came to.
to die and to save. So if any of you want to learn more about what it means to be a part of this gospel, if you want to learn more about what it means, the fact that this story of Jesus dying on the cross and coming to new life isn't just random, it isn't just a general abstract thing, but it's a real tangible thing that happens in each and every one of our lives, I'd encourage you to come and talk to us or come later this week or call us anything. Reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about dying to your old life through the waters of baptism and living to a new life. And if any of you have any prayer requests, our elders are going to be standing at the exits while we stand and while we sing this song. Number, number 528. Uh, I know my Redeemer lives. And uh, 